0: Welcome to episode 44 where today we're talking about how to survive and thrive through Halloween. So today I'm also going to be sharing with you a mindset hack to empower you as well as some ideas for swaps or rules or even just guidelines should you decide to indulge or treat yourself this Halloween. I want to start out by prefacing this whole podcast by saying that this is not going to be a discussion about whether candy or sugar or high fructose corn syrup or even artificial sweeteners or anything like that are good for you or whether or not they're healthy. That's a completely different discussion altogether and I can honestly see both sides of the argument. I think that any food may in fact have a place on the spectrum of eating and that just because it's included on one person's plate doesn't mean that it has a place on your plate or even my plate. I can understand the folks who say that any sort of candy or sweet is unhealthy and therefore has no place in your diet. But I also understand the folks who think that the occasional indulgence probably isn't going to be that big of a deal. Where you land on that particular argument is really only relevant with respect to making sure that you're in alignment with your decisions and your decisions are in alignment with your health and wellness goals. In short, do what makes you feel best, physically, emotionally, and psychologically. So with all that being said, for a lot of us, these days, even weeks, up to the October 31st, Halloween, signal the beginning of a three-month-long series of food-filled landmines and stress-inducing outings and gatherings. Beginning as early as September, we are bombarded with fun-sized candies and sweet treats. Our co-workers will entice friendly drive-by conversation with the promise of chocolate. The stores will stack mega bags still in their shipping cartons near the entrances to tempt and taunt us. In fact, fall is a time when many an emotional eater may resort to hiding in their offices and using services like Instacart, Peapod, and Walmart's pickup service in order to avoid the sweet ambush of chocolate that silently lies in wait. But even that's not really enough, is it? Even if you don't have children, you may feel pressure from neighbors and friends to dole out handfuls of addiction to every child that rings your doorbell. But worse, if you do have children and allow them to trick-or-treat, they will bring those sugar bombs home by the bucketful, which you as the good parent, have to then manage to portion and ration out to them in appropriate and healthy amounts and still make the same healthy and mindful choices for yourself. Needless to say, it can be overwhelming to have those foods around haunting you like the ghost of Halloween past for days and sometimes weeks on end. So the most extreme solution I've seen for avoiding those whole Halloween candy debacles is not giving out candy at all. And to, for example, give out little notebooks and erasers or stickers. Now, I don't know about you, but that might actually get me booed off the street. Or my house toilet papered. Or even egged. (laughs) But the more common solutions I've seen and heard about avoiding binge eating at the holidays and sidestepping Halloween candy seem to be about making sure that you eat a nourishing, regular, and balanced meal and to quote-unquote snack wisely, whatever that's supposed to mean. More suggestions include only giving out the kinds of treats and sweets and items that you're not interested in eating yourself. So if you're a super fan of smarties, but don't dig on three musketeers, guess what you'll give out? Three musketeers. Some other smart suggestions are to not open those mega big bags of candies until the first doorbell rings and to donate any leftover candy to shelters or to the troops. These last ideas fall into a group that might be labeled abstaining or avoiding. And these ideas are often suggested to emotional and binge and stress eaters who believe they have no control over themselves around food. And I think that for some people, the idea of abstaining and avoiding is a good one and has no, or relatively few, side effects. However, for a larger majority of people that I've worked with, trying to withstand and hold themselves apart from something that they really, really want can create a very special kind of situation. That is a situation where they find themselves hoarding food, hiding, sneak eating, and eating in secret. These behaviors create guilt and negative feelings about themselves, about their coping skills, and about their ability to withstand certain foods that, in turn, often create enough negative energy to then trigger A binge eating episode which is what they were ultimately trying to avoid but one of the problems I've always had with this idea that you should clean out your cupboards and pantry of all tempting and bingeable foods is that it's disempowering it's you giving your power away to a food and saying that you have no control around that food and believe me I understand the feelings behind that I understand the thoughts. I get that the reason why you may believe that you cannot control yourself around a particular food is because you rarely do. But just because you don't does not mean that you can't or that you're incapable. So again, if you're listening to this podcast close to the release date, then it's around Halloween. In my house, Halloween is more of a season rather than a day and it starts on or about the autumn equinox and one of the big things that happens in my house during the halloween season is we watch lots of horror movies now there's a horror movie based on a series of three stephen king short stories called cat's eye it's from 1985 and one of the short stories in it is called quitter's inc The story itself is about a man who wants to quit smoking and goes to Quitters, Inc. to get help. This company uses what you might call excessive techniques to get people to quit smoking. If clients smoke, they receive escalating and worse punishments. The catch is that it's not the client that receives the punishment, but their loved ones and family. I don't want to ruin it for you if you've never seen it. But I do want to pose this question to you because I think it's interesting. Let's say, if you knew that a loved one, a friend, a family member, even a pet, would be harmed, if you ever touched chocolate, Halloween candy, Heath bars, Reese's Pieces, whatever it is, ever again, wouldn't you promise, wouldn't you commit to stay away from that item? Wouldn't you commit and promise to stay away from chocolate? Wouldn't you keep that promise for the rest of your life? And let me take it one step further. Would you feel sad and deprived because you gave it up for your loved one? Chances are you would promise and you would keep that promise. And you wouldn't feel a bit bad about it. So let me ask you again how's that for having willpower? Strength? How's that for controlling yourself around food? But I do get it. You're not likely to go around trying to trick yourself into believing that your friends or family will be harmed if you don't stay away from those treats. Although you could if you were serious about giving them up. And in fact, it's that same basic principle that turns people off of smoking or drinking or even wheat. Finding out that smoking will cause the cancer to come back makes people decide to never smoke again. Figuring out that drinking has caused their fatty liver or cirrhosis may compel them to never drink again. Determining that wheat is what's making them feel so bad may make people give up bread and pasta. But the thing I've found with many emotional eaters and professional dieters is that when we're talking about emotional eating, eating a balanced meal has very little to do with emotional eating. Eating a balanced meal will help with balancing blood sugar. Which will help with managing sugar cravings. But not all sugar cravings are a sign of emotional eating. And not all emotional eating cravings are for sugar. And snacking smart. And by this we'll just assume that we're talking about the idea that you should keep a package of almonds or walnuts or something around in your desk or your purse or your car to ensure that you don't have to resort to the vending machine. That's really about managing hunger, which again is really about managing blood sugar. And the thing about true emotional eating is that it has nothing to do with blood sugar. It has nothing to do with biological hunger. An emotional eater can eat a meal of chicken and broccoli with a healthy fat and maybe a complex carb and be completely sated, no longer hungry. But then if they're triggered by an event, situation, thought, or even a feeling or emotion, may find themselves eating again in spite of their fullness, in spite of their meal's nutrient density. So I think it's important as we go into Halloween and even the holiday season to be really in touch with who we are, what we're capable of, and what we want. When I say who we are, I mean who we are as eaters. Are you an intuitive eater or a normal eater? Are you living a vegan or sugar-free or even a low-carb or ketogenic lifestyle? What are you trying to accomplish health-wise, emotional eating-wise, weight-wise? Now might be a really good time to sit down and think about what Halloween as a holiday means to you. Why are you attached to it? Do you like getting dressed up or being scared? Do you like decorating and decorations? Do you like giving things out to others? Is it the special occasion of it? Is it that it only comes once a year? When you dive deep, you may find that it's less about the sweet treats and more about something else. When I say really get in touch with what we're capable of, I mean, let's say that you're working on lowering your A1C a day or two or three of sugar or chocolate and candy that's going to set you back on the, in that respect are you capable of giving out candy and not eating any let's say you're working on your coping skills and have avoided sneak eating for weeks will having bags of candy provide you with too much of an opportunity are you willing to risk it and I'll be honest This one is always hard for my clients and it's been hard for me too because we usually want to believe that we are bigger and bolder and stronger than our food issues. If you have or have kept a food diary or journal, now may be a great time to look back over any entries from previous years. Were you able to control yourself effectively or did you perhaps think you could only to fall face first into a three-day binge that set you up for a backslide that lasted well into January. Keep in mind, this isn't about judgment. This is about acknowledgement. It's about working with your weaknesses instead of trying to deny them. And when I say to be in touch with what we want, this is about our long-term goals, what we want for ourselves health and wellness-wise. Again, if you have a journal or even old emails to friends where you talk about how things were for you then, now would be a good time to go through them and look things over. We've talked about it before. As we gain distance from our pain points and things start to get better, we forget about how bad things really were. Even reviewing any progress you've recently made can help you stay on track. So let's say that when you think about skipping Halloween, abstaining, avoiding the candy, and the trick-or-treaters, that you feel left out and deprived. What can you do about that? Well, here are a couple of suggestions that I have and ones that I've used. Suggestion number one is when you open up the bags to give to the kids that stop by, take out one piece set it aside for you. Now you get to decide whether that's one piece per bag or one piece per type or 10 pieces or whatever. But set it aside before you start doling it out. This becomes your trick-or-treat bag of candy. Then you get to choose if you eat it all that night or savor it and dole it out over the next days and weeks ahead. Personally, I think this is a great example to set for the kids. And I've had several clients do something similar with their kids after they got home with fairly good results. Option number two is to buy something extra special just for you that you keep until Halloween night. Then, when everyone else is eating their candy, you get to have your extra special whatever it is. Suggestion number three is to consider a swap. There are many, 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 many sugar-free and stevia-sweetened varieties of candies and chocolates out there now. And depending on your sensitivity to sugars or sweeteners, you may be able to have one of these sweet treats without triggering sugar cravings that last for days or even a binge. And option number four. If you do decide to just eat the Halloween candy, do it. Mindfully. Thoughtfully. And most importantly, without guilt. Research shows that when we feel guilty about a food or our food choices, we actually activate our reward centers, which makes it more likely that we will make that poor choice again. Ultimately, though, it's important to point out here that if you find that you're consistently feeling deprived or tempted around Halloween or any of the holidays, that the tips I've shared here are really just a patch or a band-aid. The fix or the solution is to uncover the real cause for why you feel the way you do and resolve it. Then you won't need the swaps or the tips or the tricks. I hope this has been helpful for you today. If you have any comments or questions or just want to share with me your favorite kind of Halloween candy, I would love to talk to you. You can find me on Facebook at fb.me forward slash Coach Christy R. Hall or at my website www.christyrhall.com I hope you have a wonderful and healthy and happy Halloween